Hey guys, welcome to Rihanna's Lens, where I interact with you about the components in the STEM field and introduce you to fascinating people who passionately inhabit the scientific and technical frontiers of our society. My name is Rihanna Malhotra and I'm absolutely elated to share this podcast with all of you. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest who's adept in archaeology, law, teaching, wildlife biology and molecular biology. She's currently a PhD student at Duke University studying pharmacology and cancer biology. Her lab actively studies rhabdomyosarcoma, which is a rare pediatric cancer. I'm so glad to welcome and introduce Elizabeth Mendes Rock. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, um, nice to be here. Nice to talk to you. Uh, really excited to do this. I've always wanted to do a podcast, so um, it's really exciting that uh, I'm able to do one, especially just being in my first year of my PhD. I'm so glad to have you, and um, I know that you're a really versatile person. Uh, so, uh, what made you finally specialize in pharmacology and cancer biology? Yeah, so um, I get asked this question a lot of my family, friends, or just people I'm interacting with. Um, I have always really liked school um, since I was very little. I've always liked science and math and um, always wanted to learn more. I remember being super tiny, like, and just playing in the bathtub and, like, mixing different shampoos together. Um, but I've always had a kind of curious mind to answer questions. Uh, in high school, I thought those questions I wanted to answer were in the field of archaeology. I uh, saw a lot of documentaries and thought Egypt was cool, and I really wanted to get into that field. Um, but when I started college and undergrad, um, I realized uh, with historical evidence, I wasn't able to just answer all the questions I wanted to. And I really did need a science background to be able to dig deeper into these things. So that's when I ended up my freshman year of college. So this was 2013 um, at the University of Evansville in Indiana. I double majored in biology and I thought I really wanted to do forensics type things. Um, as I progressed in biology throughout the years and kind of dabbled in archaeology still, um, I was having a really hard time pinpointing what I wanted to do. Um, I felt torn because I was interested in different things. And eventually I did a research project, um, actually, and it was more in ecology. Um, I did an animal, animal behavior project uh, looking at um, different types of lizards in Costa Rica. And that was a really cool experience. Um, and it was my first kind of exposure to the research world. I ended up graduating with that experience and kind of a general background in biology, a general background in archaeology, and didn't know what I wanted to do again. Um, so I got out in 2017 and I was just looking for a job. Um, I ended up teaching for a little bit out of middle school and um, I taught eighth grade math and science. Um, and it was a really fun experience. It was enriching and uh, it gave me a lot of time to think about what I wanted to do. And eventually I decided I really needed to go back to school. I wasn't done learning yet in a formal sense and I wanted more experience and I wanted to be more advanced in, in the sciences. So I ended up getting my master's degree in molecular biology at uh, Central Connecticut State University. Um, and I primarily worked in Daniel Chase's lab and I worked with C. elegans and it was more of a neuro-based lab. We looked at dopamine signaling 
And even though I wasn't a big neuro person, I realized the skills I was using, the things I was learning, signaling pathways, mechanisms, all that kind of stuff was like super fascinating to me. So um, I dove more into that and got additional research experience. And I studied rheumatoid arthritis at UConn Health with Caroline Dealey for a little bit. Um, and eventually, when I was almost done with my master's, I once again decided I'm not done learning. Um, I want to do more. And so it's kind of like, what, what is that more? What, what does that, what does that involve? Um, and it was kind of a funny story. I was chatting with a friend um, from high school and he had worked at a legal practice for a little while. And um, I was looking for a job to work part-time while I finished up schooling. Um, and he told me about an opportunity to be a legal assistant just at a general law firm. So uh, it was good pay. And I was like, you know what, this is kind of cool. I'd probably be good at it. I'm good at writing. I'm good at reading. Um, I have a lot of the research background for my science skills. So I did that for about a year um, of my master's degree. And uh, that led me into looking into the legal field more. And I said, okay, law is cool. I'm good at this. Science is cool. I'm good at this. How can I intertwine the two? And then I discovered uh, the fabulous field of intellectual property and patent law. And I got really involved in blogging and Instagram and made a lot of really, really useful connections. Um, and I ended up working as a technical patent assistant uh, for a patent attorney, Sheila Gibson, um, who runs Aura Intellectual Property Law out in California. Um, and I gained experience writing patents and, and doing you know, discovery for, for her clients and really just um, getting hands-on experience with like translating science into the public and uh, communicating science. And um, as I learned more about that and I really enjoyed it, I discovered that I needed a more, even more advanced scientific background. And that's when I decided to apply for a PhD program. Um, now, as far as what I wanted to get my PhD in, I knew it definitely wanted to be in molecular biology because of what I did my master's in. Um, but wasn't really sure the area. So that's why uh, I, I really liked Duke's program. Um, I came into the cell and molecular biology program and it's an umbrella program. So I was able to rotate in different areas um, and really like, you know, see, see different skills and learn different things. I hadn't had experience with cell culture or, or um, more tissue work. So I, I wanted to do that and see if I was good at it and liked it because I thought, you know, drug discovery is what I wanted to do. Um, specifically in cancer biology. That ended up working out. Um, and now I am where I am now uh, in Kern Lenardic's lab. Uh, she's a pediatric oncologist, MD, PhD here at Duke. Uh, she's fantastic. And we do a lot of great work in this lab. So I'm, I, I'm really excited to really dive into the technical, technical aspects of science um, and just kind of keep doing what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, that's a, a pretty long-winded answer for how I got here. <laughs> no, but it really shows that you have like so many uh, experiences. And since you tested the waters in so many uh, fields, it really uh, made you uh, an all-rounder and specialize in what you really wanted to do. And now that you're in Duke University, how has the experience uh, been for you so far? So kind of interesting. Um, I... So I initially interviewed in February of 2020, so right before kind of COVID lockdown started. And then um, after that, things started to change. And, you know, I had to come to the realization that I'd be starting my PhD in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and so would all of the people in my cohort. Um, so that was kind of a scary thing to anticipate. Um, and I eventually ended up moving down here and everything. And 
you know, classes online have been an adjustment and all the protocols we follow in lab have been an adjustment, but so far I really do enjoy it here. I thought the rotation structure is really good, even though we shortened our rotations and everything because of COVID. Um, but it's been a hard year, but also an unearthing one because I, I feel like I finally found a research area that I'm ready to buckle down in. Um, and that's what I've been looking for for a really long time. Yeah, COVID certainly turned everything around, but once you're focused on what you really love to do, it doesn't really matter, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Now I just feel like, you know, I could wake up and I don't need to worry about like where I'm going next so much. It's like, okay, I get to be here and secure for like, I don't know, four to six years. Who knows? (laughs) And um, now since that you're uh, here at Duke, what courses did you take before uh, taking your PhD in your uh, undergrad? Okay, so quite a few. um, And this kind of goes back to because I've had classes all over the place in different disciplines. Um, my, my undergrad university was a liberal arts school, so I had to take a lot of uh, general education requirements and I wanted to do that anyway. Um, so in my biology department, I took different classes in like animal phys, molecular bio, um, botany, horticulture, ethnobotany. I kind of just explored all fields of biology. I didn't really have specific expertise in molecular biology yet. So that's why I didn't feel comfortable applying to a PhD right out of undergrad. Um, I certainly could have tried, I guess, but I I think the learning curve to starting my PhD would have been very difficult and I'd be having a much harder time without like a solid foundation. So in my master's degree, I was able to take more specific courses in cell signaling and cell metabolism and energetics. trying to think of I took stem cell biology cancer biology um and in my master's classes were really nice because they were structured in a way where we were reading papers and keeping up with the field so I felt like I got a solid um a solid background that then allowed me to like look at a paper in a field maybe I wasn't so familiar with or a disease I wasn't familiar with like my lab's rhabdomyosarcoma when I took cancer biology, I didn't study this type of cancer, but I can apply the things I learned in my class to understand like the mechanisms here and the signaling pathways here. So I found those very helpful. Um, and yeah, it's just makes everything easier. <laughs> and now that your lab is um, studying rhabdomyosarcoma, which I'm hearing for the first time, and please correct me if I'm pronouncing it wrong. So uh, what exactly is it? So uh, rhabdomyosarcoma is, it's a pediatric cancer um, and it, it typically uh, impacts like soft tissues and muscles um, and like types of muscles. Uh, most kids, they'll usually get tumors in their groin area or in their mouth and their eye. It could really be anywhere in the body and it kind of presents a little differently depending on the case. Um, and rhabdomyosarcoma, I'll abbreviate it RMS uh, for now, but there's two subtypes. One of them is a fusion positive subtype, um, which just has this translocation um, that is unique. And then there's a fusion negative subtype, which does not have that translocation and has other um, genetic aberrations. So I specifically am looking at uh, looking t- into the fusion positive subtype. Um, and usually this kind, is, it impacts younger children and the treatments for it aren't as effective. 
Um, one of the big problems with RMS is since about the 1980s, 1970s, there really hasn't been a lot of progress in the field like we've seen in other types of cancers like leukemia. Um, and, and the outcomes are still very poor. Uh, so it's, it's a small field, it's a rare cancer. There's not a lot of labs that study it, but the work is certainly very important. So this cancer mainly affects uh, young children, but does it also affect uh, adults? If so, how does it affect them? Um, it can also affect adults. Um, it, and, you know, it will still be in, in the muscles and soft tissue, but um, it's still, it's even more rare. Um, and I'm, I'm not as familiar with, you know, how it presents in adults, um, but still pretty rare outcomes aren't as good. And usually it's diffusion negative subtype that like older teens and stuff like that will get, um, whereas more as infants, it will have this, this translocation. And now uh, due to the pandemic, how has your research uh, changed? So it's certainly in, in the first half of the year, um, things I would say slowed down a lot, um, especially during rotations. We had to be on strict schedules and shift work. So only a certain amount of people were allowed in the lab. And a big thing for me that was a hurdle is since I'm very new and I'm still learning and I'm learning a lot of skills, um, it's important that I'm able to have people around to ask questions. And so uh, it was hard to get, you know, a sense of who's going to be around in the lab, who can I ask questions in the lab. And so um, that was that was weird and kind of difficult to get through, but we tried our best with Zoom and everything. Um, and I really wasn't able to run as many experiments as I wanted to starting out just because I didn't, I feel like I didn't have the, the resources right, right there. Um, and I, I even know like, you know, a lot of labs at Duke, we, we were struggling with getting things like cell culture plates and pipette tips and, you know, because of COVID and, and those, uh, those tests are going to be prioritized uh, compared to, you know, just general lab work like we're doing. So um, I'd say first half of the year, that was a lot harder. Now things are getting a little better. Um, restrictions are lightening up. Um, I'm vaccinated. I'm pretty sure everyone in my lab is vaccinated. Um, so, you know, we're more comfortable with being around each other with, you know, still some precautions, but I'm able to get into cell culture more on my own and I'm able to practice new skills. Like uh, one thing I've, I'm trying to do is immunohistochemistry, which is new. Um, so I'm able to get that independence because people around that, I, like I could do things on my own and then ask someone a question really quick and keep doing things on my own rather than having that delay because I don't have someone around to ask a question. Yeah, that's really great to hear. And what other challenging aspects do you face like generally while doing your research? Um, one, one thing that I actually struggle with, um, since, you know, I, I've always involved very, a lot of things and I generally put too much on my plate. Um, so some days I'll find, you know, my goal for the day may be to read a paper, but then I end up in th three meetings and I have class and then I'm talking to someone in the lab about something and then I'm troubleshooting connecting a printer like the littlest things are just getting in the way like technical problems with my computer and setting up stuff like that um where it's like oh my gosh where does the day go I didn't even have time to sit down and think about my project because I'm doing all these other things like around the lab so Time management has been uh, difficult to figure out for me, um, specific, specifically finding time to like sit down and read the literature. 
Um, like I could get going with an experiment or something like that. But yeah, that's definitely been my my uh, my big struggle. Yeah, but I'm sure you'll get through it with time. And yeah, I think um, I'm definitely adjusting. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what would you say are your other research interests? Um, like generally or uh, in my lab? No, just in general. Like what would you want to do in the future? Yeah, so um, generally I always, I, I really want to be in cancer biology. Um, I, my mom has, was diagnosed with cancer, with breast cancer a couple years ago, and then she got diagnosed with cancer, lung cancer recently. So it's been something that's really been close to me and affected my family. And I feel like it's an area I could really make a difference. Um, and they could use a lot of great scientists. So hopefully I could be one of those. Um, uh, but ideally I would love, love, love to uh, develop a drug, like find a drug target and then potentially develop a drug and have my own startup company in the future. Uh, it's a big goal of mine. Um, with a lot of the different, the patent law that I did, uh, my, the patent attorney I worked with, she's out in California and she did a lot of can- cannabis and CBD patent law. So I do actually know a lot of people in that sector as well and um, people getting involved in different startups and things. So that can also, that's also um, something I've thought about as a potential side project. Um, Bye. All right. Have a good day. Sorry, I was just saying bye. Uh, but so yeah, I've I've thought about maybe getting involved in uh, the startup industry, just uh, like in the, in the like studying endocannabinoids and stuff like that. Um, but that would be further down the road. I just kind of think it's cool. Um, I also have a uh, soft spot in my heart for uh, planetary science and cosmology, so it would be cool in the future to maybe. Uh, do something like with life that's found on planets or being able to advise someone at NASA or something like that would be like a cool passion project for me. I mean, like, I have a NASA shirt on now, um, <laughs> but so I'm always following things happening in space. Um, so big things, small things and everything in between. <laughs> yeah, it all really sounds fascinating to me as well. And uh, now that technology is advancing, like from before now, it's certainly more advanced. Uh, has a resurgence for rhabdomyosarcoma sarcoma become a more easier? Um, I believe there has been a lot more developments, especially as like epigenetics and um, epigenetics like research has evolved and looking at things on more of a genomic level um, and just really considering all the different things that can regulate a pathway and what turns things on and off. So as basic science evolves and we're understanding mechanisms better, I think it's helping us with our cancer research. So each year, I mean, even if you look at, you know, there's there's a very uh, popular paper that talks about like the hallmarks of cancer and it's been put out several times with updates. Even if you look at each update that there is, every time like you, you read it, there's so many new developments in the field. And as those progress, I think it's really helping cancer research, even though, you know, there's still a lot of questions that we do have. Um, but at the same time, sometimes I'm wondering, you know, the more we know where we make, like, does this make it more complicated? You know, the, the more I learn, I, I think about the more we don't know. Um, so it's kind of an interesting uh, caveat. <laughs> Yeah, like um, our body itself is so vast and we some, sometimes we don't even know uh, about the slightest things like rhabdomyosarcoma. It's like, um, it's such a, it's a cancer. And then 
uh, it takes so much time to find a cure and what to research about it. So maybe in the future, we may find some technological advances that may help uh, to research more about it and find a cure, hopefully. Yeah, and um, I know there's definitely, there's a couple projects up and running looking at different um, different drugs that actually help, you know, adult cancers and they're thinking about trying them out in, in the pediatric cancer. But in, I'm, I'm learning in the pediatric world, things can be a little difficult in terms of like drug trials and is this okay to give to kids um, just because of the way the clinical trial process works. Uh, typically things are tested in adults first and um, sometimes they're not even tested in kids um and it's it's kind of weird i don't know a lot about a lot about that like uh, for example the covid vaccine first you know clinical trial process they're looking at at adults and then they started doing some tests in kids because they're going to give it to everyone but um i know uh a medical fellow in my lab she was telling me like for example something kids get tylenol tylenol technically hasn't been gone through a clinical trial process in children um so there's things like that that kind of make more hurdles in the pediatric world than there are in more adult cancers. Yeah, I think um, researchers have a lot of uh, responsibility on them as well. Like you need to make sure that uh, the medication that you come up with is um, okay and should be tested for uh, everyone and it's safe, especially. Yeah, toxicity studies are very, very important. Um, And I, I think sometimes, you know, when, when I'm just in the lab and, you know, running an experiment and we're like, okay, like I'm sitting here pipetting or I'm doing this and that. And sometimes it helps to just take a deep breath and think like, this may actually help someone in the future, even though it's like tiniest little experiment. Um, but yeah, just a little thought. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And um, also lastly, what advice would you want to give to any, um, anyone wanting to pursue cancer biology in the future? Um, my biggest piece of advice would be to take things one step at a time. Um, oftentimes, especially with social media, uh, even I do this all the time. I'll compare myself to others. Why aren't I at this place in my research career? You know, like I'm, I'm 26 years old and starting a PhD, but there's people who are 22 years old and starting a PhD. And I'm like, oh no, I'm on the high. My biggest piece of advice, don't do that at all. Um, you know, starting out when I finished high school, I would have never, ever thought that I was going to be a cancer biologist ever. Um, even like in high school, biology was actually, I d- did not like my biology teacher at all in high school. And I was like, oh no, I'm not going to touch that anymore. And I ended up, you know, it's my passion now. So definitely take things one step at a time and learn from your experiences as, go- as you go. And don't be afraid to change your mind. If I didn't change my mind, even right after undergrad and switch from, you know, more wildlife biology to more molecular biology, I would never be where I am today. Um, So I I just go with the flow and make decisions as you go that are good um, and that you think are going to make you happy. Um, And you will find your like little niche. Um, It just happens. And everyone does, whether it's slow, fast, you will find it. Yeah, that's some really good advice. Well, I think that's it for today. Thank you so much for coming on. It has been a really great discussion. It was really great to hear your own views on things as well. So thank you so much for having the discussion with me. And I'm sure even the audience must have enjoyed our conversation. So just to let all of you know, the podcast is now available on YouTube, Spotify, 
um breaker google podcast and uh, pocket cast so make sure you listen in all uh, these listening platforms elizabeth do you have any words that you want to say before we log off yeah uh, thank you so much for inviting me um if anyone listening has any questions um on instagram my name is elizabeth the scientist and on twitter it's elizabeth m underscore ms um have to answer questions connect network anytime um Thank you. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much, Elizabeth.